0: You need a Bible. Dick uh, will hand one out to you, so if you put your hand in there, you can bring one with you so you can follow along. Now, you might be a little scared that I said that, that I was going to teach the two chapters. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I it may be known that I can talk a lot, but uh, you're going to give us a broad stroke of this game. So, Uh, Don't worry, we'll get you out of here before three, uh, at least. Uh, So what I'd like to do is uh, begin, and I'm going to read through both of the chapters completely together so that we kind of can hear what it is that God speaks to us, and then we will jump right in. So beginning in chapter four, verse one. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For then indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together within the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another, and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under an oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, indeed. As I dove into this text this week, I was convinced that God is very concise in in this letter to... Brass-taps it is the kind of thing I you like to do. I want to, give me the thing. Give me the one thing. What is it that I need to get out of this, ultimately? And so, normally what a, what a preacher should do is actually stand up and kind of unfold it and then kind of get there. No. I'm going to give it to you right up front, and then we're going to go there. So right up front, this is what I get: The will of God is that we live holy lives, in thanksgiving for what Christ is making us and what he has for us upon his return. I'm going to repeat that. The will of God is that we live holy lives in thanksgiving for what Christ is making us and what he has for us upon his return. So, questions more than answers as always. What is the faithfulness that God calls us to? Why does the faithfulness of the believer in Christ matter? What must I do to be found faithful at Christ's return? Remember the hinge from last week's message is, I believe, the hinge of the whole book of 1 Thessalonians. Remember I said it was the big and small word. The, the small word if. Everything hinges On what Paul teaches them about this if statement. He says, if, in verse chapter 3, verse 8, if you are standing fast in the Lord. So he would say to you and me, as he says to the Thessalonians here, he says, if you are standing fast in the Lord, then there's a great responsibility for you to grow. If you are not, if you are not, then there's only one response that will change your eternal destination. That will spare you from the wrath of God to come. Repent and believe. Sort of simple and concise. Difficult, impossible without Jesus Himself. So last week I told you that there were a few things that Christ wanted us to know that would help us to be found faithful at His coming. And then I did not fully deliver that to you. But this morning this is my aim is that we would know what faithfulness is as it's defined by the faithful one, the faithful Jesus. That we would know what faithfulness is through Christ's complete, faithful, atoning sacrifice for our sin. That we would know what faithfulness is through the knowledge that God in Christ spared nothing, even his only begotten Son. That at his return, we would be found faithful in him another think this week that we I preached this message and message on being all in probably for five weeks in a row and as I pulled from this text I kept thinking this is about being all in again and the words of C.S. Lewis say it best I think he says this from near Christian Christianity give me all of you I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you. All of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I do not want only to prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me. The whole outfit. All of your desires. All of your wants and wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me. I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself. And in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. And I believe that this text here tells us about being all in. That it's everything. I know that I told you the story of my uh, freshman baseball coach. Delivering the gospel to me and me refusing it because I realized that from what he told me that meant that I had to give him everything I had and I was not willing to do that. I could not fathom a gospel message delivered to me that said that only part of me was okay, that I needed everything. And I that's I rejected that out of hand because there was many things that I wanted to keep for myself, right? Well, as I said in the outset of our study of the First Thessalonians, this is a letter, and by nature, that letter is meant to be read altogether. In five twenty-seven, he says, "I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers." Well, for the sake of time, I can't read the whole letter to you in one second, but I hope that you have done so in the past couple of weeks as read this letter from beginning to end to get this in its context. But for the sake of time this morning, I'm going to give you a recap. So that we see the aim of the letter in its coal. Paul declares to the Thessalonian church, I had a deep longing to know of your faith, face to face. Notice the letter begins by this deep longing to know of their faith, face to face. Our shared enemy prevented me. Your reputation was that you had become imitators of the faithfulness of Christ. Your reputation was that you were imitators of faithful churches and of people that were born of the same affliction. Paul says, I have found all of this to be true of you. And my desire for you is that at Christ's return, he would say the same. So, what is it to be found faithful? And who is it that defines it? Well, first, I'd like to say that faith, being an immaterial thing, is immeasurable. Faith is the substance or the conviction of things not seen. Christ himself defines faith because he is the author and finisher of our faith. But faithfulness is the outworking of the faith that God, through Christ, has deposited to us. Faithfulness is a response. It is our imitation of the faithful one. Further, Paul declares here in this text that faithfulness is demanding. Faithfulness is measurable. Faithfulness is... Demonstrates the Spirit's working. Faithfulness is forward looking. Faithfulness is hopeful. Faithfulness redeems the time. Faithfulness is transforming. Faithfulness is loving. Faithfulness is thankful. Faithfulness is working. Faithfulness is sure. Well, faithfulness is demanding, and faithfulness demands that we grow. As we looked at um, chapter 4, in verse 1, we see this. You see, he says, Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just your, as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Here's what I found I found you faithful. I would urge you that you must grow in that even more. He says that there. And then in verse 11, or verse um, uh, 10, he says, Let's go nigher 10. For now, concerning brotherly brother of the love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. But you yourself have taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. You are faithful. It demands that you grow more faithful. You are loving. And faithfulness demands that you become more loving. That we grow. Inasmuch as our faithfulness has attained for us a life pleasing to God. It demands that we not rest on what we've obtained. But that we must add to it. That we must grow in it. The love of God has given for us. Each other to this point, it pales. It pales in comparison to the love Christ has for His church. Faithfulness demands that we love each other deeper and more true. Faithfulness is measurable. I want to read four, one through eleven, together, so we get this in context again. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. That as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we have told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs. And to work with your hands as we instructed you. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and dependent on no one. If we are standing fast in the Lord, God has called us out of the world. And in his calling us out of the world, it ought to have a measurable otherness to it. When he's talking about being holy, it's a measurable otherness. That we are other than we were. There's a measurable otherness to it. The will of God is that we ought to be growing out of our worldliness and into godliness, that is, being sanctified. Our yardstick of faithfulness is Christ's standard. It's not what is normative or socially acceptable, but that which Christ is like, and therefore not man pleasing, but Christ exalting and God pleasing. The fruit of self-control needs to be evident in our lives. As we see here, he talks about abstaining from sexual immorality, right? And he says, basically in this text, it says, even if your brother lets you off the hook, even if societally it's okay to act in that way, it's not okay with God. It's not pleasing to God. You ought to be other than the world. So he declares this to us, Faithfulness redeems the day that we are in. Faithfulness redeems this time. In 5 1 through 11, it says this Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Is anyone surprised by the lawlessness of our age that we live in? None of us are surprised by it. We're keenly aware from all that's going on around us that Christ returned must be. in not we? We take a look at what's going on, we take a look at, at even our own society, and our own presidential race that just happened. It's pre evident that, that Christ is going to return. And that's our hope, right? We're, that's our forward-looking hope. Well, we live in expectation of Christ's return by redeeming the time. By what we do now. Notice there in the text that talks about those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Those who sleep, sleep at night, right? And it tells us something about the day that we're in. We need to redeem this time. We fight against injustice in the day. We live a life that is vibrant and alive today. We desire that upon Christ's turn, find us awake and sober, loving and serving His people. With it today as though this is the day that our redemption will be consummated. We live today from this position of salvation in Christ in the future, but we know this, that it will be realized soon and very soon. You see, the faithful have been transformed. They've been taken from death to life, from darkness into his glorious life. We notice in this text, That there's these contrasts of what's going on here. We see this, that we go from hopelessness to expectation. As we think about Christ's return, it won't come upon you like a thief in the night. Those who say that there's peace and security and I have enough time. Those who might say, you know, the eleventh hour isn't here yet. I'll turn to them when I'm finally done. When I'm finally tired, when I see that it's going to be in the next second, I'll turn to them. Well, it makes me think of a a Christian song that was out years ago that says, The eleventh hour quickly passed me by. Don't let the eleventh hour quickly pass us by. Redeem the day. Because today could be the day of our salvation. That's hope, right? That's how we redeem today, is knowing that at some point soon, and very soon, this position that I have in Christ, this salvation that He has secured for me, could be consummated before we get home. Amen? Amen? That is good, good news. And it should change how we live, right? Uh, our time should be consumed with all that Christ is for us today. Because there's a lot. There's a lot that Christ is for us right now. Isn't he good? Doesn't he give you comfort to your heart? Yeah. Doesn't he give you peace? I was thinking about this idea of faithfulness. And as, as I prepared the message, it's so amazing that God puts in my path a definite and personal response to what he's called me to do and be faithful to it. I had a gal that worked for me at Fred Byron. Her mother passed. And she asked me to do her funeral this weekend. And I knew because I knew the gal that worked for me that she was not a follower of Jesus. I knew that her whole family wasn't. And I sat and prayed and listened and Trying to think, well, what is it that I can say to this family? How can I go and give them any comfort whatsoever? Because they're not in Christ. How can I give them any comfort whatsoever? So I wrote a message, had a wife read it as we got in the car to head to Portland and do this funeral. And she reads it and she says, well, that's pretty bold. I said, yeah, it is. And I said, it scares me, freaks me out. In my flesh, I want to shrink away from it. I don't want to do it. But then I said, well, God has called me to it. I must do it. And as I delivered this message, there was a gal, one of the daughters of the woman who had passed, sitting in the front row, shooting daggers in my face. (laughs) She hated what I was telling her. And I was talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that everyone will be resurrected. Everyone will be resurrected. But do you want to be one who's resurrected unto the death, the same of death lasting forever and ever and ever? And what is the difference? Faith. What is the difference to a resurrected life that resurrects us? to Jesus and His peace and the presence of God forever and ever. It was faith. But I'll tell you, that inside of me, all I wanted to do was run away, (laughs) shrink from the duty, and after it was over, I didn't want to talk to anybody because I just knew that somebody was going to come up and say, that was brutal. Well, it was honest and it's what we need. Faithfulness, he's called us to that. Well, we see here that as the faithful have been transformed, well, I want to think about something else too. This faithfulness of transformation causes us to look forward, doesn't it? causes us to look forward to the day of Christ's return. Our hope for the coming of Christ then has a purifying effect on our lives should have a purifying time effect in our lives presently. Paul reiterates this clearly in Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read to you 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Doesn't that talk about redeeming the day? Just as Paul is saying here, redeem the time, redeem the day as you are purified in Christ, as he is going to fully purify us. Well, one of the things, the last things we need to think about this, last couple of things, is that faithfulness is working. Faithfulness is not complacent. Faithfulness doesn't wait for the other brother to do it for you. Faithfulness is working. Let's look at 12 through 17 to chapter 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Paul will tell us here, faithful followers is seeing the faithful work of those who labor for us and for our growth in the gospel. It also tells us that faithful followers are hard at work in the gospel. Faithful followers encourage other followers to work out their faith in fear and in trembling. Faithful followers understand that the work we are called to, it never gets a day off. We never get a day off from being faithful to the gospel. God never lets us have a day off from that. We need to always be faithful, every day. And this, he says, this work of faithfulness, it demands our joy always. The work of faithfulness demands an unceasing dependence upon God. An unceasing dependence upon God. And where do we go with our unceasing dependence upon God except to our knees in prayer? Our faithful work demands that in all circumstances our work is giving thanks to God for the life that He has given us this is our assurance that our work is in the will of God. I always wonder about the will of God and how we can assure that, I, that, that what I'm doing, that I'm doing in His will. Paul gives us a clear thing here because he doesn't hold anything back about telling us what the will of God is for us. He tells us here in verse 18 give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. How do you know the life you're living is in the will of God? Do you have a thankful heart? Do you have a thankful heart no matter what? No matter what the circumstances are, can you find a way to give thanks to God for it? As we were sitting down at the dinner table at Thanksgiving with my kids, Um, this text of course was in my head, and in my heart and I asked them. I said so can you name something that you're not thankful for? Can you name something that if it were to come upon you right now you couldn't give thanks for? The list is pretty long of things that we don't want to bring upon ourselves. They didn't kind of know what I was going for at first. And then I said, to you him, know, said, well, you get the flu tonight. Can you find thankfulness in that? The will of God for us, Paul says here, is that in all circumstances, in all circumstances, faithfulness demands a lot from us. Faithfulness demands all of our thankfulness. Faithfulness demands that our circumstances matter little and Christ matters a lot. Faithfulness demands that we look forward to His return so that our present situation makes sense, right? That God has redeemed this as well. That God has redeemed whatever hardship might come my way. Whatever hardship might come to me, there's this. Because He tells us in 5 9, He tells us in other places in this letter. What does he tell us? He tells us that we are not children of wrath. That the wrath of God has been satisfied. So that means for us that in all circumstances, Christ is for us. Christ is for us. and he is not against us. If Christ is for us, all we can do is do this. Thanks be to God. I don't know what you're doing in this. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I heard my brother Matt talking about struggles and things that he was going through. And a guy said to him, he said, Well, God must discuss you a lot to give you all of that. To give you all of that struggle. Wouldn't that be great if that was our heartbreak? Right? Then when God gave us struggle, he said, Thank you for that, God. Because here's what we know. That Christ is working something in us when that happens, Right? Christ is changing us. He's transforming us. In all of our circumstances, give thanks. Well, the thing that I want you to know ultimately is this. Is that faithfulness is sure. Faithfulness is sure. And that's this. That the outward expression of our faithfulness, it is sure. Because of this. The one we imitate in this life is the one who is faithful and true. Christ, he says, will surely. That's, that's a positive. Christ will surely sanctify us completely. We can have confidence. we can have confidence that our faithfulness will be sure. Christ will surely, here's another surely, Christ will surely transform our whole being. Christ will surely transform all of us. Christ himself will keep us blameless at his appearing. He tells us that when we see him, we will be like him. That's a surety that Christ will complete the work that he has begun in us. Because he says here in 523 and 24, I want to read this again just because I want us to hammer this into our own hearts. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. If you are standing fast in the Lord, here's our admonition for the morning. Take this to heart. This is all of what I think that God wants me to say. I could have said the thing at the beginning and this at the end and done. Because I think it, it, it sums up the whole thing. But here it is. If you're standing fast in the Lord, submit your whole life to the Holy Spirit's working in you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Commit yourself to faithful obedience with Thanksgiving. This is all a reminder from Paul to the Thessalonians and a reminder to me. Remember who you are in Christ. Live a life that is consistent with your calling. And this, your faithfulness, it has implications for you now, for the watching world, and upon Christ's return for eternity. We can sum up the whole message with this is the will of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would be transforming us, that you would move us towards the forward look that as we look to you, Christ, in your return, that you would find us blameless, that you would be purifying us by the power of your Holy Spirit. You'd cause us to submit ourselves wholly to you. All of us. All in. Give us a heart that would give you everything, that would hold nothing back. That when you call us to love and we don't want, we would love anyway. That when you call us to give thanks and we can't find Thanksgiving, we're thankful anyway. You would turn our hearts to see what it is that you are working in us by our circumstances. That you would. Establish our hearts as such that we say, I know this. This is trouble, but Christ is for me. He is faithful. He will surely do it. We give you praise for who you are for us. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.